Welcome to the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine. UX introduces a simple formula for personal and business growth based around one principle. We can't solve big, valuable problems alone. Starting with this principle, UX equips and empowers us to pour ourselves into people and systems, scale authentically, and create a life of exponential freedom and impact. And now, let's get started with the latest episode of the UX Podcast. Hey, what's up, Rockstars? This is Matt Johnson. We are back with the UX Podcast. And just a quick introduction because this is a longer episode. Most of our episodes are sub 30 minutes. This is a little bit longer, but with very, very good reason. This is one of my my good friends and a, a great guy in the industry to know. In Australia, he is essentially the largest and, and most well-known real estate coach and put, puts on the biggest event in real estate in Australia outside of the their own national trade organization. Uh, he's brought in guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Gary, Gary Vaynerchuk, Eric Thomas, uh, Richard Branson. Uh, this is a guy who goes and plays poker with Arnold Schwarzenegger now every year, trains with him a little bit, uh, and he's just one of the most awesome guys that I've ever met. Now, here's where the, the real value is for anyone that's delivering professional services. Glenn is a coach that has now gotten into providing done-for-you services for his clients, and he explains kind of what the done for you service is. But we go really deep, uh, especially towards the end of the conversation, we go really deep into what the what the implications of that are, how it's going to affect his coaching business, um, what he can do, and maybe what what is an, a different course that he can take, maybe a middle ground where other people um, hire the person that he trains to execute on the things rather than him having to scale up staff and essentially build up a Gary Vaynerchuk social media style thing underneath his coaching business. Uh, so we talk a little bit about his business partner who is a beast in and of herself and what her role is. And man, we really go deep into kind of his his coaching business model. It's one of the, the most fun episodes I've ever done. And so I'm excited for you guys to hear it. We're going to jump right in with Glenn. Uh, he, is, uh, he was kind enough to join us from uh, four o'clock in the morning from some random small town in Australia where he's speaking consulting on this day. Uh, and I know you guys are going to get a huge kick out of them. And we start out with uh, a little bit on the tactics of how to get someone to show up to live events because he is a live event ninja grandmaster. So guys, enjoy Glenn Twiddle, one of the best real estate coaches in the world. And uh, definitely uh, one of my good friends from down under in Australia. Have fun with this. For those that don't know you, since you are uh, you're big in the real estate world, and we've kind of uh, you know linked up and helped expose some of our American audience on the real estate side to you, uh, but you are much much more than that. So tell people kind of who you are, where you are, what you do. Yeah, well, I've been described as, um, and for anyone who even knows of real estate world, there's a fellow over there called um, uh, called Tom Ferry. And who's a real estate guru. And there's a maniac in New York City who owns an advertising agency called Gary Vaynerchuk. And I was very gracefully and probably inaccurately described that if those two gentlemen had an illegitimate love child, it would be me. So, um, <laughs> you know, but, an Australian <laughs> love child, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I, th- I think so, you're the Tom Ferry of, of Australia. You're the essentially, you, you throw the largest, best, and most well attended event in Australia. Australia in real estate outside of the actual national conference of the Realtor Association itself, right? They're your version of the Realtor Association is the only one that's bigger than your event. Yeah, yeah. So I guess that's the case. But even when you say that, to compare me with Tom Ferry, you've got to put a zero on everything in Australia, meaning 
20 million people in Australia, 200 million people, I understand, in America, you know, um, 10 times the real estate agents. So, again, when our, our national conference, the number one player, gets three or 4,000 uh, people to it. So, I'm sure the NAR thing, God knows how many real estate agents attend that bad boy, but we get our biggest thing is 3,000 odd bodies. I understand some REMAX conventions get 8,000 people. Just Remax. So oh, surprised, yeah. hell. Yeah, so, um, so yeah. So whilst um, it's a nice accolade to be a strong, solid number two, um, you know, <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> oh my god! You probably, probably complete pun intended. But yeah, so I coach real estate agency, and, and the reason the Gary Vaynerchuk kind of thing is, I coached them in outrageous uh, personality built social media. Nowadays, I used to be a marketing guy in all aspects. Now. All of my guys are all in on social. See, my marketing used to be, you know, becoming a published author, um, uh, positioning yourself in radio, TV, newspaper, magazines as a celebrity real estate specialist, agent kind of thing, a celebrity version of what it is you do. And my A students, my early adopters, my, you know, my, my, my star students, we would dabble in social media you know, for the last 10 years, you know, since Facebook's launch and the launch of the paid advertising platform on Facebook, you know, all of my early adopters were all in on that, but it was a optional extra that we would get to in my coaching if we get time. Mm. That's flipped now. Yeah. Now, now it's, it's almost like I'm a, I'm a social media coach who dabbles in publishing because I still believe there's power in them being a published author, physical book, and yeah. we hand out books as a business card and all of these other marketing tactics in the real world with physical things, but they are now the optional extra where if we don't have our social media chops and our online presence right, uh, forget it. The game is either over or it's going to be someday soon. So that's kind of the, the thesis, I suppose, of what I coach people in, whether it's in large formats like, um, like an event with a couple of thousand people mm-hmm. or whether it is in a medium-sized event like the one I begged you guys to come uh, down to where literally you and Greg McDaniel were virtually my headliners. It was you guys and the, some guys from this show over there, Million Dollar Listening or something. Uh-huh, uh-huh. that, that was a, a good mid-sized event uh, for Australian standards. And um, uh, or an audience of two people like I'm here doing later today, like it's 4, 5 a.m. now, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I'm in their office in three hours' time, literally to sit there side by side with two ladies in a startup in a small regional town, and I'll be saying the same things to them. The one difference is instead of me being on a stage telling them what to do, I'll be in their office like, saying get out of the way and doing it for them. So it's like I'm, you know what, I I, I think of it this way, and this is interesting we're talking to coaches and to people who want to systemize their business, which is why I'm here to learn from you, is in in that world, you know, there's kind of three ways you learn how to do something. And I heard this analogy once and I loved it. It was like learning how to drive. Like I could just sell you the manual of learning how to drive and say there's the manual, there's the manual of a car and, um, You've, uh, you know, go read the manual and get in a car and figure it out. So there's that way. That's way is going to be pretty cheap. Then there's, you could just pay Uber or a driver for the rest of your life and never learn how to drive. Just pay someone to do it for you. Yeah. That's going to be expensive, but that's a valid way to learn how to drive. Never drive. Just pay someone to drive around forever. Yep. What I'm doing today is I'm doing it like most of us learn how to drive. I'm going to get in there and do it for a little while with them watching. Then after they've watched me do a few things, 
I'm going to say, now I'm getting out, you're sitting in the driver's seat and I'm going to watch them do it, instruct them, correct them. And after two days of this, I can leave. And then maybe a month later, I'll look back. How's that going? Ah, oh, you're not putting your foot on the clutch or whatever. Yep. And, and so I'm sort of doing that where it's kind of doing it with them, not doing it for them, doing it alongside them where sometimes I do it, sometimes they do it. But by the end of that process, just like driving, they're a master driver. Yeah. So that's my world. Well, so here's a, so, and, and there's a bunch of ways this ties in. I, I do want to give um, a, a quick little uh, tactical thing, if you don't mind. So on the event side, because you are, you are a master of execution, I would say at events, and you're a master, you and Naomi, your business partner, who really, she, she whips things into shape and makes sure that the events run like absolute clockwork. Naomi is a beast. Um, both of you guys are very good at coming up with a couple of tactical things that people can do to incrementally increase attendance. And I would love for you to share just a couple of those things because a lot of our listeners, whether they're agency owners, business coaches, consultants, either they're already doing events or they're interested in doing events and they're struggling with that exact thing, which you've already mastered, which is how do you get the butts in the seats? So what are, what are some of the couple of tactical things that you guys do in the lead up? I want, you already have the registrations. You already have people that are committed to come, whether they've paid or not. What are some of the things that you guys do in those last couple of weeks leading up to the event that actually ensures that they show up? Yeah, well, um, I mean, one of the challenges there is if it's in the last couple of weeks, you're already in trouble, you know. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, if you've planned well, what are some yeah. of the things you're executing in those last couple of weeks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but again, it, the executions in the last couple of weeks, it, the job should already be done. But that being said, you know, there is a there are some broad principles and then there's some specific tactics, you know. So mm -hmm. the broad principles are wherever the eyeballs of your consumers are, you need to be there. So... Let's have an example, coach, other than me. Um, like if, this, if these girls that I'm seeing today, local real estate agents were running a, an event, right? Then first thing is, where are their consumers, i.e. the general public, who you know, may or may not have homes to sell, but for them, the general public are their event. So where are their eyeballs? Well, if you go past any coffee shop, if there's someone sitting by themselves in a coffee shop, they are, they're, 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 brain, they're, they're glued to this thing. Right. Right. They're literally glued to their mobile device. Yeah. So you need to understand the media that your consumers are looking at. And normally, well, actually media is already plural. I was going to say medias, right. but media is already plural. So the media, plural, that they are looking at. So they are looking at their phones. Mm -hmm. They are looking at multiple platforms on those phones. They are looking at somewhat desktop devices, perhaps in their work environment, less so. They're looking at their desktops, less so. Mm -hmm. um, they are still looking at billboards. They are maybe in this region here, I'm in a regional town, a country town, um, they are looking at the local newspaper if it's an older demographic. So um, they are certainly looking at their text messages nine out of ten times within five minutes of receiving a text message. Nine out of ten people still look at their text messages. So it's a case of getting a database or buying one or essentially getting communication ability to a large audience that you want to influence to come to your event mm -hmm. and then making sure your message is in that media. And then the variable, the next variable with that is making sure your message is something that they want to hear. So, you know, if they were doing, if those real estate agents were doing an event here in this town, if they said, hey, come along and learn four things you can do to increase the value of your home, 
literally one or two people are going to come to their event. It's going to be a dismal failure because the message, even if the whole town reads that message, even if they put it in skywriting up on the thing, <laughs> no one's coming to the event because mm. literally there's only, you know, in any given town there might be 150 properties on the market that are, that are selling at that time. And out of that 150, only one of them feel like they need some help. You know, in that it's such a small yeah. micro niche of a niche of a niche of a niche. So, or niche, you guys call it. Yeah, it's a, a sliver of a sliver of, of what. Right. So, what I would say is that message that these, uh, you know, ladies should do is give a message that is somewhat compelling for them to be there. Give them a reason to come to that event. Now, that might just be a bar tab. Right, that might just be alcohol. Right, that might be one of my students put on um, a uh, Avengers night. They hired out the whole cinema on a slow night, and they um, filled that cinema. They could have filled two or three cinemas because people want to see the Avengers. What did they get in exchange for that? They've earned in exchange for that a two-minute. You could call it a two-minute YouTube pre-roll ad. Mm-hmm. where they got two minutes to, because if they'd have spent half an hour doing a listing presentation before that movie, game over, right? Okay. Game over. Even if the people sat through it, they would have lost all the goodwill, mm, right? Yeah. They would have left mad. Yeah. I remember years ago, someone was telling me about a, a, an agency that did that and they sat through each of like, Eight staff members all do four minutes. Oh God! Right, so oh. half an hour of real estate bullshit, just uh, mm, 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 mm. and it was only four minutes because you know how it is with speakers. Four minutes is nothing. I can't say my name in four minutes. So, yeah. but when eight people do four minutes before a movie and there's an audience of kids there to see the Avengers, not on, not gonna fly. Mm-hmm. They've bought two minutes to say, guys, thank you so much for coming. Look, I, I can't give you any spoilers away. I've seen this, but let me just say you are in for a treat. This is the culmination of 10 years of Marvel movies of, since Iron Man 1. And we've all seen them. I'm stoked for you guys. I'm honoured to be bringing this to you guys uh, and sharing your enthusiasm. I can see the excitement on little Mark there. Mm. He's got his Iron Man mask on. Mate, you're going to love this. I cannot wait. Um, this is our way, guys, of thanking you for you allowing us to serve you. You know, the mm. fact that we've been able to serve so many of you uh, with your real estate needs, it's an honour that you've come to share this with us. This is our tiny way. We can never repay you for allowing right. us to live our lives in right. this business, but this is our tiny way of thanking you for letting us. So um, enjoy. That's it. This makes hundred percent sense. Like business to consumer events. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, yeah. so what, but the principle there is, is exactly the same thing that I do to my business to business. Like don't, in my opinion, there is no such thing as business to consumer or business to business. It's all business to consumer because those businesses that I put those bums on seats, they're just freaking consumers. Mm. Like, don't think there's a difference. That CEO that you're trying to influence, if you sell airplane parts and you've got a buying manager, mm. that dude who's in the chief buying officer's role at Boeing still wakes up in the morning, still laughs when his little daughter farts. Still yeah, it's, it's more like, uh, there, there's an issue. I was talking with a client about this the other day, soft sell versus hard sell. So, so the way that she splits it up is if you are, if you are selling something, and a lot of people that sell to the, to the consuming public are, are doing a soft sell, right? So what, what they have to sell will make their life better in some way, mm. better, right? Versus a hard sell, a lot of us, and you, you and me both included, 
what we sell is the promise that what we sell will make them more money. And that's oh, definitely. If you can sell financial ramifications, what I love is there's a lot of products that you can sell financial ramifications on mm-hmm. almost anything. Yeah, you can always, or yeah, and you have to. That's one of, that's yeah. one of her specialties is teaching people that, mm-hmm. that think they sell soft sell stuff. Yeah. Teaching them how to make it into a hard sell. Oh my God. I mean, I'm right. trying to think of a product that can't have financial ramifications. I'm looking at this breath mint spray. That could have financial ramifications because one bad breath client could cost, actually that would be an easy one. That's exactly how you do it. Yeah. Weight loss. Mm-hmm. Weight loss. I've dropped 30 kilos. What's that? 66 pounds in the last whatever. Mm-hmm. You could put financial ramifications onto a weight loss product like that. Yep. I can't think of a product that couldn't have financial ramifications yeah. added to it. So, yeah. um, but I, I agree think, with like, you. With the business to business crowd, I think that that is, it's really, really important to do mm. that because that, I think mm. that's what really gets people's attention in, especially in the B2B crowd is. But what is it? The, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, Zig, remember Zig used to, um, Zig used to put financial ramifications into pots and pans in that these pans are so efficient, the savings on your power will more than pay for the pans. I mean, that is brilliant. <laughs> I know Zig's a genius. That is brilliant. <laughs> oh, my God. That's oh, good. Man. Got All, right. Mm. All right. So let's talk about this, uh, this whole, the, the, the reason that we're on the podcast together is that we obviously we've, we're talking and hanging out behind the scenes and stuff like that. And I'm going to spend some time in Australia and gallivanting your, around your continent next year. I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, why, man? But, uh, um, yeah. So we are talking about like, y- you are the ultimate person that I know. Oh that shit. Wait a minute. No, no, no. I don't know if you're going to, I don't know if you're going to edit this out because I'm here to learn from you, but so no, don't edit it out. Leave it like it is. We didn't finish the thing. Let me just okay. quickly give the big principle. Of oh, yes. Oh, the, the, the real estate agents are coming to see the movie and they get a two-minute pre-roll to pitch their thing, right? Okay. I do the same thing, that 1,500 people do not come to a Glen Twiddle event to see Glen Twiddle, right? right? So I hire a reason that they want to come to my event that is bigger, better, more attractive and more um, desirable for their business world than Glenn Twiddle is. If Glenn Twiddle was doing a keynote, 80 people come, 150 people come, 215 people max come to see Glenn Twiddle with a small price tag. Free, I might get 500, maybe. Mm -hmm. No, you know what? Maybe, because I've never done free, so I've never tested it. I've had 200 people just to see me. 1,500 people don't come to see me. So what I do that is the equivalent of the Avengers movie is I hire Richard Branson, you know? Uh, 1,100 people came to see Richard Branson, but... I got to be the support act. You know, it's like literally I'm a wannabe musician. I want to be famous. I pay Bon Jovi's fee to come and do a concert. I sell tickets to go see Bon Jovi just so I can be the support act on before Bon Jovi. That is my business model in a nutshell. So I put out there in the marketplace in every media possible, I don't advertise, hey, come see Glenn Twiddle, that's going to be great. I say, Bon Jovi live, blah, blah, blah. So I say, mm-hmm. Arnold Schwarzenegger live, Gary Vaynerchuk live, Eric Thomas live. I put my reason that they are coming in every media imaginable that my people can be looking at. They come to see the other, but in doing so, my support act, which is actually the thing that can actually help them. Because whilst Richard Branson and Arnold Schwarzenegger, they may have good speeches, I know that I add more money to their pocket than Arnold does. And Arnold's got a good speech, no yeah. doubt. Arnold's content is solid. Richard's content is solid. Dude's a billionaire. But for a listing and selling real estate agent, I'm better than both of them. Mm-hmm. And merit does not matter. 
because they're not there to see me. They are forced to sit through me. And I, for those ones who get it, I changed their world. <laughs> yes, but, you do. You know, <laughs> there you go. Forced to sit through you. But they quickly become fans, as I will. Uh, I wear them down. That's I wear them down, brother. <laughs> You're, I, I refer to you lovingly as the most brilliant person I know at self-deprecation. <laughs> So that says something about how smart you are because you're literally brilliant at putting yourself down. <laughs> uh, it's a, a lifetime of having a head like this, being 60 kilos overweight and all that. I'm, I'm good at it. But <laughs> well, you're well on your way to not, not being that, not being overweight. So you can ask. All right. So anyway, so you, you reached out to me when, we, when I started putting the podcast out there because the whole premise of the podcast is turn your rock star business into a UX machine. And mm. you're the best person I know at building rock star businesses. So the question I'm is- like, Matt, did I do it wrong? Yeah, did exactly. I do it exactly. wrong? No, so you sit down Matt, next to me. me. You sit down next to me in, in, at, a, at a luxury resort in Coronado in, here in San Diego and you're like, yeah, I, I think I'm doing it all wrong or something like that. <laughs> So I got a huge kick out of it. So, so I want to explain where this kind of fits in because I think a lot of people can have that same, that same initial impression, right? Because think about Virgin, right? You, you mentioned Richard Branson. Richard Branson is a, what I would call a rock star CEO. He obviously is not doing everything in the business, but he is known and Virgin and Richard Branson are synonymous, right? So he's doing exactly what you teach your students to do, which is turn themselves into a rock star. The only problem with that and where we get tripped up a lot of the time is because when we make ourselves the face of the brand, it then becomes, it creates the trap where we end up doing and continuing to do most of the work in the business that delivers the majority of the value. Now, your students don't do that. Your students are leveraged in the sense that they are focusing on building their brand, which attracts the people. And they focus on the thing that is the highest value part of the transaction. And then they have assistants and staff and stuff like that that helps. Real estate has well, that. You know what I'm saying? Well, it does. Yeah. No, but not all of them. What no. I would say is, as you said that, you're saying your students have that. I'm sitting there. A couple of them do. A lot yeah. of them are falling into the trap yeah. of being everything and doing every part of the transaction, sometimes including their admin. Oof. To their detriment, because they think they're saving a $50,000 a year assistant. Hmm. No, mm. and that, that's what really gets back to, uh, and this is what I'll talk a lot, a lot about in the upcoming UX book, is the concept of X factors, which is, you know, you can call it a lot of things. You can call it your genius. You can call it your strength, whatever the case is. I, I, the X factor to me is so much more expressive because it's, it's the exponent it literally multiplies. It doesn't just add to your effectiveness. It's not one plus one plus one equals three. It's more like three times three times three is 27. You know, it's, it's, the, it's, the, it's the exponential effect of like if we, if we get all that other stuff off of our plate and we're no longer delivering most of the value in the business through our own time, effort, and energy, we can really zero in and focus on our X factors. If you think about a guy like Richard Branson, his X factor is his ability to attract publicity to do and be outrageous in a way that generates millions upon millions upon millions of dollars in free publicity. That is one of his X factors. The more that he is freed up in the business to focus on doing that and not doing operation, you know, overseeing the work that should be done by VPs in his case, the more he's free to stay in his X factor that generates millions upon millions of dollars for his companies. And you can take that all the way down to the level of the real estate agent and their assistant or you can apply it to yourself and look at the things that you're doing within a coaching business and go, look, 
I only have three X factors. I would say, and Glenn, in your case, you probably know what those are. They're things like marketing strategy, the conceptual analysis of where someone's at and how to get them where they want to be, the copywriting, right? And then mm, you could say either systems or project management, very similar to my skill set. I would say you have Naomi that's probably strong. You would consider her stronger at project management and systems than you. But between the two of you, those are like, those are your guys' X factors. Well, could I ask you that? Because I'm, mate, I'm, I'm getting, unfortunately for your listeners, well, maybe fortunately that I can be their avatar, that I'm here for, to learn from you because you've got this thing nailed and I love it. So let me ask you this. When you said that marketing strategy is one of them, mm-hmm. copywriting is one of them, and systems and stuff is another, that means I'm brilliant at hiding weaknesses because, in my opinion, I'm very weak at all three. <laughs> Meaning, marketing strategy is a swipe from 8,000 odd hours of mentoring that I just learned from a Dan Kennedy or a Joel Bauer or a Gary Vaynerchuk or a, or a Jay Abrahams. Right. Everyone that I've learned from 8,000 hours, marketing strategy, I just pick from this library from them. Right. Copywriting, I consider myself adequate at best because I just type whatever the freaking hell I'm thinking with no edit and click send. So the one click on the copywriting dial that someone like a Gary Halbert or a Kennedy would, would say mm. that I've become good at or I've just not become bad at doing the opposite I don't know how to quite word that, is I just type what I think. <laughs> You've become, I've become not bad at it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just type what I think. So there's no formula that I'm not working to. The, the okay. copywriting legends of this world, the Carlton, the John Carltons yeah, of this of course. the guys who work to formulas would roll over in their grave when they see me not uh, belabor over my copywriting that I just yes. type it and click send. Right. Um, and systemization, well, as you accurately said, I really hand that off to Naomi. Mm-hmm. Um, that if, if I was anything, I would I would have thought, and that's the thing, it's interesting that our own perspective of what we think we over-deliver at versus yeah. what others perceive versus how do we find out what's real right. is I would have said kind of being nice, being likeable, I suppose, using self-deprecating in order to facilitate that being liked. Mm-hmm. And building relationships, I suppose. And you know what? I think one of the biggest things that I have found gets me that being liked and building rapport outcome is I edify others well. Like when I introduce on a stage, you guys, Mm -hmm. all I do is I take those things that I absolutely love and admire about you guys and enthusiastically I expose those things. I, Mm -hmm. I tell my audience those things when I introduce Arnold Schwarzenegger. I don't read Arnold's freaking little bio crap script that they give me from the PR company. I tell my story about being a teenage kid idolizing this man, using his very rules to make the event happen that he's speaking at, and I speak from the heart, and I do a great job at that. Yeah. And that's just me gushing over my heroes, you know? So and and I would agree. Say, those are like, strengths. Those are strengths. None of them work. Uh, you would quickly become unrespectable. And you'd be a, a dancing monkey at your own events if it were not for the eight thousand hours. And you may not have think you may not you may not think of yourself as having developed a strength in that. But mm. you've essentially spent the last ten years and ten thousand hours turning what you would have initially thought of as a weakness now into an X factor. So if it wasn't for that, right? And 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 let me uh, submit this to you. 
the idea of running events where you bring in someone like a Gary Vee or, or an Arnold Schwarzenegger, most people don't think that way and most people don't execute on it. That, that is, you've taken a marketing strategy and executed on it, which is the only way you're in a position to be an awesome, self-deprecating, brilliant introducer of other people. Well, then certainly there is a developed skill that I've warmed myself up. There's my backup alarm. Uh, I've warmed myself up like a frog in a boiling pot to yeah, be... I think that's exactly what it is. Uh, yeah, to, to be risk averse, meaning I don't mind putting a million dollars that I don't have on the line because I've... I've, I've, whatever the word is, I've acclimatized myself to know that it's all going to be okay. Yeah. So that's definitely something that I'm able to go all in without it. It still freaks me out, don't get me wrong, but I'm still able to do it despite being totally scared to death. Yes. Um, and that's, you know, whether that is a skill, an X factor, I don't know by your definition, but, um, yeah. but I am able to do it, you know? Yeah. It's a, so an X factor is a unique skill attribute or an ability. And I would, I would throw that, that last one, I would throw into the, the bucket of like an attribute. It's a character mm-hmm. attribute that you've built up over time. You probably started out with some of it being from, you know, both of us are from musician backgrounds, which were naturally more, uh, risk takers than the average person. Uh, and then you, you know, obviously jump into that with your events and you've built up that muscle and that attribute over the years. So now you can put a million dollars on the line, mm. uh, like you said, with the, the boiling frog. So anyway, yeah, mm. so I think that's get, getting back to the whole like rock star business and stuff like that. So if we, if we build a machine around ourselves where we don't have to deliver the majority of the value in the business, it actually frees us up to spend more time in those X factors. And if you're a Richard Branson type or if you're a Glenn Twiddle type, where being out in the public and understanding at the tactical level how to attract attention, Gary Vee, Richard Branson, you were all geniuses at that. And I mean, at the very granular level of understanding, what could I do today at this event that would help me attract attention better than, better than anybody else, right? So you guys are all masters at that. Um, you did something very, very cool at the Lab Code events here in San Diego where we met up in person. You essentially ethically bribed everyone to take their picture with you in exchange for a free high value course if they proved that they took a picture of you and flagged you and tagged you and all that good stuff. I don't think anybody else did that. And guess what? For the next few days, all I saw in the LCA Facebook group was Glenn. Glenn's face, Glenn's face, Glenn's face, Glenn's face with a bunch of people I don't know. Uh, so so that that is an example. Very, very tactical, very, very practical, very simple. But guess what? Who guess who didn't think of it? Guess who was at that event and didn't have any pictures of themselves in the LCA Facebook group? Little guy called moi. Right. Mm, wow. So, so that is your zone of genius. That's your X factor. And the more that you build the systems around you that allow you to be you, the more of that stuff you can do, the bigger the coaching business gets because you're not held down doing things that take you out of your X factors. So it actually allows you to be a bigger, better, more public rock star, except that you're not having to get stuck in the operations work of doing the thing that provides the value. And that to me is where a lot of businesses are going. I mean, mm. think about it. It's like the Apple or, um, or the Nike business model, right? So Nike and Apple essentially have, what, three divisions. They have an executive leadership. They have a kick-ass R&D department. And then they have a kick-ass marketing department. Everything else is outsourced. Somebody else builds the, builds the glass that goes into the iPhone. Uh, companies in China manufacture the iPhone. You know what I'm saying? Like they're even working with their competitor. I think, I think it was Samsung. Samsung now makes the glass that goes into the iPhone or something like that. Wow, really? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, how, that's how leveraged Apple is. 
Yeah, it's actually, I mean, some cars, and correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe this is me, 80s, 90s guy, and, you know, our audience here are the, you know, the 20-year-olds who say, what's a Holden, um, General Motors or whatever. But okay. did they do that in, in uh, overseas where they took Holdens here or Toyotas okay. and they put Holden badging on the same car but they called it a, a Holden whatever instead of a Toyota Lexus or whatever. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they, they yeah, took a white label, the white labeling on steroids. Yeah. Did they do that with cars over there? Like they have a Ford Focus and they put oh, yeah. a Hyundai badge on it and Hyundai market it as a whatever. And I thought, yeah. wow. There's, that is- there's, a, there's a car here called the Ford. Well, if anybody from in the early 90s remember this, it's called the Ford Probe. It's essentially the same thing as a Mitsubishi Galant, something. Mitsubishi and Ford both released essentially the same car, same platform, different badging, early 90s. Yeah, well, yeah, when, like and when you say essentially over here, and I don't know, when you say essentially. the same from- car. Yeah, remove yeah. the word essentially. It came off the conveyor belt. Some yes. of them they put a Ford badge on and some of them they put a Mitsubishi badge on. Yeah. I'm like, whoa. Yeah. Yep. That's. Yeah, okay. So similarly, what you're saying is that freaks me out that Apple don't make Apple, that yeah. they just lead and, and have an executive leadership team. They sell them and they R&D what they want and then they tell someone else, go make that for me. Yep. Holy crap. Yeah. And that to me, that's, that, is the, that is the future. So that, okay, so for me, that's what the profit you, is right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know my business. Build a successful distribution company. That means you don't can't build a successful manufacturing company. There obviously are, and they're making a certain level of profit. But guess who is the near trillion dollar company with all the profit? The one selling Apple, wow. the one who's doing the R and D and the marketing and the sales, which is the hard part. It's the high value part. It's the part that determines whether people actually buy or not. And to me, like for any coach that is the highest value thing that we do for clients and for our own business. So Matt, what does that mean? Let me, uh, cause here's me getting free coaching guys. See, you're jealous, aren't you? I'm on this podcast and you're not. So I get to ask Matt Johnson this. Um, so mate, what does that mean? My brain's going fried right now. And I, that's what I love about yeah, hanging it's four, with you. It's four in the morning there. Yeah. Other than the fries, you're food, coherent yeah. at all. <laughs> but um, I have started with frustration of my clients lack of ability of implementing social media in particular. Yeah. But historically there was elements of this, like I would yell at them about becoming an authority, getting to be a celebrity version of what it is that they do. You need to become an author. So write your book, write your book, write your book. And I screamed that for so many years and none of them got to it. So I said to my top level clients, my one-on-one guys, screw you, you're all fired. I hired a ghostwriter, an author. Mm-hmm. He wrote an adequate book. I didn't get him to write War and Peace. I, in fact, I gave him five books from other people. I gave him drop-down menus from agents' websites. And I said, here, take all this and write me a how to sell for more money book. Right. He did. And I paid him to do so. And I paid for the legal right to say that my client wrote that book. Yes. Perfectly legal, perfectly ethical, yep. the topic of ghosts. People, some of your listeners might be sitting there saying, how dare they? Well, it seems ghostwriting has been going on forever and um, that's perfectly valid. <laughs> so, because um, I checked that out because I was originally thinking, I didn't know about yeah, it's this. Very, it's very biblical. Apostle yeah. Paul didn't write any of his own stuff. Oh, okay. So, okay, so the, wow. Um, so, the, so, I did it then. I did it for them and then 
but that's mutated even worse now into um, not just me doing some ghostwriting and then publishing for them, but literally I started because none of them were executing social media even adequately, right. let alone well. So I just said, Oi, give me your passwords and Glenn Twiddle started doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, this can't go on forever. So I systemized the process where it was me. Then I taught Naomi what I was doing. I taught Mm -hmm. 12 little things on a menu that they should do in any given week, 12 things in a given week, their listings and their various things. Mm -hmm. And then I taught Naomi. Then I taught Naomi's 20-year-old daughter-in-law. Then I taught Naomi's 19-year-old daughter. And I thought, if they can do it, Almost to my competency level, happy. Brilliantly so, I thought, because I kind of got the menu that I could do it and I'm not the smartest cookie in any shed and the fact that I said cookie in a shed proves that. that. (laughs) Do we store cookies in sheds now? Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I like how you're often stoic and if I can crack you up, I know something's funny. (laughs) (laughs) That was awesome. Um, So so, so they did as good if not better than me with the system that I made. So how does... Because what you just said before fried my brain, did I make a mistake getting these staff members internally to do this or should I just found a kick-ass off-site social media agency, company, whatever, should I just have said to my mate Gary V, oi, dude, here's the menu I want to execute, do that, Um, here's my clients, and should I become the Apple and Gary V, the manufacturer off-site or some social media agency? You know, have I stuffed Mm -hmm. up or what would you say? No, no. So so I have a couple of thoughts on that. So number one, no, because either way, the process and and the system that you come out of it with from you doing it yourself, then doing it with somebody, then systematizing it to the point where you can train an ex-high school student to do it, that process is extremely valuable and most people try to skip that when they try to install any system in their business. That is the system. I do it, we do it, you do it. Everybody that skips that, any one of those parts ends up falling down and having issues when they install a system. So that was all fine. The problem is, you've essentially built something that there's only a couple ways to scale up, which is either A, you take all the risk and hire all the staff, right? So as you take on more coaching clients and as they get to the point where they need your social media service, it all is on you. You take all the risk of hiring people. Even if they're 19, 20-year-old students that are fresh out of college, you're taking all the risk of hiring those people to offer that as a service. And so that think, was our plan. As yeah, literally up until plan. three minutes ago, that has been my plan. Am <laughs> I changing that, that plan? And Matt that Johnson? was the plan with my agency originally too, because I come out of a digital agency that scaled up to 60 employees and 500 plus clients. So I'm like, great. I just, I offer something different. I'm going to do the same thing. We'll scale up to hundred, then 200, mm-hmm. then 300 clients and Bob's your uncle. Okay. Right? So you were in that company or that was your company historically before this? Yeah, that, that, I was in that company. That's, that's the company that I did biz dev for before I left to start my own agency. Ah, they're now a client and the founder is one of my best friends. So we talk about this stuff all the time and we're both of the opinion that especially in marketing, and that's not the only field, but especially in marketing, the trend is against that, right? The trend is against hiring like early 20s or whatever to do the implementation because the implementation of marketing, once you understand what needs to be done, can actually be done very, very cheaply overseas. 
or by somebody in-house or a staff member, whatever. It's not really like when you look at like my podcasting agency, when you look at doing a video blog, when you do look at the social media stuff, there's a reason why you preach for so many years. Just do X, Y, and Z. It's not that hard. It's not that complicated. If you have a system, it's not even that hard to teach somebody to do it. Guess who it is hard to get them to do it? It's hard to get the people that we actually serve. It's hard to get the clients to do it themselves so then we come along and go, well, the only answer then is to, is to start an agency. But if you look at it from the client's perspective, once they hire us, once they hire one agency, that's great. What happens when they also want to start a podcast or they also want to do something else? Well, now they've got two agencies. So guess what they just made themselves? VP of marketing. Now on top of what else they're doing, now they have to manage two agencies or three, or four. And a lot of my clients and friends and entrepreneurs that I run into all fall into that. I wouldn't say it's a trap. It's just a natural evolution where they, they start, they go, okay, I can't do this myself. So what's the next step? Okay, I got to hire it out. Okay, great. I'm going to hire this company. Now I'm going to hire this company. Now I'm going to hire this company. All they did was give themselves a full-time management job because now they get to hire and manage and train two or three or four agencies to do the stuff that they want done. So I think the future of where all this stuff is going is a person on staff that executes, but they don't create the systems. Somebody else like you and I that have the intellectual horsepower, the marketing strategy, the copywriting of, of 10,000 hours of mastery like you do regardless of whether you believe that or not, but I'm telling you, you do. Uh, so you have a 10,000 hour mastery level of marketing strategy and copywriting. You create the system and you give it to somebody on their staff who executes and implements and you help, maybe you help hold them accountable, you know what I'm saying? But you, you train, you hold them accountable. But ultimately, I don't think it's all on us to take on all the risk of scaling up an agency with 40, 50 or 100 employees like Gary Vaynerchuk has. I think history is against that model. That's my personal mm. opinion. Mm. So, because um, that's essentially what we were, you know, we were looking at modelling and I, I even did the maths in my head And because uh, using Gary as an example, now maybe that's one of my challenges, using Gary as an example, as hard work as I am up at 2 a.m. this morning to, you know, be on a couple of things, to listen into your Real Estate Uncensored podcast and then for us to do this, mm. I ain't going to do 18 hours a day, six days a week like he is. He is a machine. So maybe he is a bad modeling example. But I did the modeling. I did. He's at 100. And he's an agency selling to big companies. Absolutely. Yep. But so I did the maths on, on the actual revenue and the system. that the And mm -hmm. I $150 million, mm -hmm. um, 800-odd staff, so I sort of did the maths that if $150 million annually, and I assume that's annually, I don't think that's monthly, I think that's annually. Okay. In revenue, 800 staff to do so. Say it was $160 million and 800 staff. I think I did the maths that that was 200 grand in revenue per one staff member that they are responsible for. So I sort of thought, and I think that maths works out. It's either 200 or 20, but I think it's 200 grand in revenue. So what that means is if I've got clients paying um, 15000 a year, Mm -hmm. um, one client needs to be serving at 15 to 20 clients. I thought, shit, by happenstance, I'm about at Gary V's ratios. All okay. I need to do now is pour fuel on the fire up. and I'm done. I've got VaynerMedia Australia, whether it's called that or not. And I even half thought, and here's me outing it to your world, I even thought of building it to a certain level and saying, hey, Gary, um, 
he's on holidays right now because the email sent and I got a reply email saying I'm on holidays, so talk to me later. Just saying, hey, Gary, when do you want to know about me being VaynerMedia Australia? Do you want me? Do you want to know now? Or do you want me to build to a certain level before we talk? Or do right. you want to tell me to piss off you have no in- inkling in this tiny little small piss hand pond, you know? Because yeah. that was my thinking. I'm thinking I've already got exactly the numbers. Mm-hmm. I've got the same religion because I learned from him, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Shit. Whether it's got the Vayner Media tag over the door or not, that's what I'm building. Yeah. And, and so now I've got time I, I i've certainly got room for thought now that did i get it wrong and is there something else that on different way that i need to get there yeah well so here uh, going back quickly to the the uh, you know who who you're selling to and the the way that i look at it with so so you serve an audience of agents who are selling them just about the most expensive possible thing you can possibly sell to a consumer, right? They're at the top of the food chain as far as B2C. Mm-hmm. Only ones that are top that are that are, you know, top that are, are true luxury agents or yacht salesmen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, that's about, that's about it. it, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so if you think about it in terms of like Greg McDaniel uses the the like, and he got this from his dad, his, the analogy of elevators, right? So so your your clients are at the top of the B2C elevator. But, it's, but you yourself are at the bottom of the elevator of B2B services, you know, in terms of selling coaching and consulting. If we serve that, right, we're sort of like anybody that like us that serves like the solo kind of solopreneur, the entrepreneur, like the individual. Uh, and I love the Wild West of serving entrepreneurs. That's, that's my sweet spot. But we do have to recognize that our, our profit margins are not what they would be if we took our same skill set and went and sold that into the Fortune 500, Fortune 1000 arena, which is where mm, Gary is which at. Is what Gary's that's, playing. That's, yeah. that's where Gary plays in. That's who pays him 25 grand or 50 grand a speech. It's not us. It's not entrepreneurs. It's not the Glenn Twiddles of the 25, world. 2550. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know so they're coming from someone who's never hired him, clearly. Something, yeah. Well, I was yeah. thinking, I was thinking um, it, was, uh, it, wasn't, it was Josh, by the way, the one, him being on the Wells Fargo circuit. I won't give the last name, but that, that's what he was getting for his, after he come and spoke at your event, that was his next event. On the Wells Fargo mm. circuit. Yeah, yeah. No, so, Gary is yeah, uh, six figure per speech. Yeah, Gary is six figures per speech. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So that's who's paying that that fee. It's mm-hmm. not the entrepreneur. So if you're serving entrepreneurs, and a lot of us are, whether you're serving, you know, small con- coaching firms, consulting firms, whether you're serving other agencies, you know, whatever the case is, those of us that are in the B two B world, we have to recognize that, like, modeling what we sell off of a model like Gary V's, where he's selling into the Fortune 500. We're gonna have. We're not. We're just not gonna make the same margins. We might have all the same ratios, right? Yeah. Isn't interesting that despite the disparity that you mentioned in consumer, mm-hmm. the revenue and the number of bodies it takes to make that revenue work out the same, which yeah, I find fascinating. Yeah, that's interesting. I have to. I'd have to dive into the numbers a lot because I know. I know the. I know the business model from my old agency that I came out of, and I know. Mm. I know the ratios. I know. I know the percentages that go to labor. What ends up coming to the bottom line, like all that stuff. Um, mm. I would suspect it's probably a lot lower once you get into it because then you end up realizing you have to hire a layer of management, right? So the thing about scaling up a digital agency model is that as soon as you get, I would say, a handful of, of account managers that are working with the clients, you, that you get, it gets unwieldy to supervise them yourself. And you have mm. to give up a huge chunk of your profit that you've been making up to that point to hire that layer of yeah. management between you and now the account managers. And mm. so not the only answer to recouping your profit and making more money is you got to really scale. Like, yeah, at that point now it's like you got to pour fuel on the fire. 
The problem mm-hmm. is, is if anything has changed in the market and the technology, the underlying technology that the digital agency is based on, whether it's Facebook ads, whether it's, you know, being awesome at Snapchat, like literally something could happen to Gary Vee and the, the next technology that comes along after Snapchat could be something that he's not good at and it could potentially wipe out his entire agency. Mm, I see what you're saying, although in him as an example and what I would say to any of your students, whether it's Gary, whether it's me, mm-hmm. that that's our job as a CEO. And if we're not able to take that next media and make it work, because mm-hmm. the one thing that ain't going oh, yeah, to change is that in consumer human, their brain ain't going to involve anymore. So whatever's next, if it's these little voice Alexa things, mm-hmm. and that becomes the way that all our attention is there then there cannot not be an advertising methodology to get in front of that. That's our job as CEO. If we can't do that, we shouldn't be in the position. Yeah, well, I agree. And there's going to be there's going to be people that build digital agencies based around things like Facebook ads. And then the next thing that comes out, for whatever reason, they won't be able to master and the agency yeah. flat out fail. Yeah, if they're basing it on a, on a trick that they hack, mm-hmm. Facebook growth, whatever, you know. Um, well, the SEO companies oh. that weren't able to transition from when it was yeah. easy to dominate versus now, yeah. they're not in SEO anymore. Well, and again, it goes back to your X factors, mm. right? So if your if your X factor is the anal- like spreadsheet analysis, statistical analysis, and that's what makes you really really good at Facebook ads, then as long as the next ad platform leverages those same X factors, you're probably good. Mm. It just yep. depends on what the next platform is. Yeah, my, my one is organic or something like that. You know, what I'm yeah. saying like if like let's say Snapchat took over the world. And you know, and I'm saying like, and everything was based on your ability to build an organic audience first before you could advertise to them. And all you were good at was ignoring organic and focusing on the stats and how to, how to spend money and slice and dice the money in certain ways that it brought in ad revenue. Like if you, if that was your, if that was your skill set, if that was your X factor and something came along like that, you'd have a very hard time transitioning. So the point, yeah. point being like, if we build like a big, like if, if the only way to make money in the agency model is to scale it up to, to kingdom come. And then we just have to look very, very carefully at whether you want that level of risk, whether you want that level of responsibility and does your X factors position yourself to continually learn and evolve and keep up with the platforms. I think Gary V's does. I think it'll be a while before a platform comes out that Gary V doesn't master because he genuinely loves it. That's one of his act factors is he loves social media. He loves finding out what captures people's attention. Yeah. So I think and he loves winning so much, you know, I've never seen anyone that, you know, having spent personal time with that dude, you know, and I know a lot of people, you know, that have spent more time with him have said this on a million things that he is everything you see publicly. Yeah, you know, okay. he's not that good a method actor. You know what I mean? <laughs> that does not surprise he, me. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but, you know, what's interesting, I think one of my, you know, we could call it next factor and probably now I'll do so, is my, if, say, if everything changes and I have to go back and do another thousand hours sitting at the feet of whoever the next master is in whatever that is, mm-hmm. I'll sit my ass there in the seminar room and learn. And I know yeah. there's a, a lot of people in the coaching space, in the, in the guru space, we could call it that, that are not willing to sit their ass beside their former students in the seminar looking that way rather than always looking this way at the audience I spend more time listening to you, listening to other experts and learning even now than I do standing on a stage or doing consulting or doing whatever. I spend way more time learning than I do 
teaching. So yeah. I reckon that's one of the things that no matter what ends up happening, yeah. some bastard's going to be good at it and I'm going to pay them to sit at their feet and learn how to be good at it. Yes. The, the difference is do you own the manufacturing facility? Mm. Right. So if you're Apple and you're good at R&D and you're good at keeping up and developing the next round of technology, do you need to own the manufacturing facility? And the answer yeah. to that is no. Clearly they don't. Yeah. Right. And so the PEA, yeah, clearly you don't, right? So at the mm -hmm. highest levels, we see that disconnection between the people who are on the ground doing the executable work of building the phone is separate from the act of designing and marketing the phone. If we think about that in terms of marketing, and if you're a marketing strategist and that's your strength, the thing that the, I think the way the way that the most money will be made, and I don't mean the, both the biggest top line necessarily, but the most profit, I think the most profit will be made by the people that figure out how to disconnect the doing and get those things done through others that they don't own and don't have to employ and focus their, their attention and their time and their energy on the things that deliver the most profit and drive the most profit to the bottom line, which is the sales and marketing and the research and development. That's my, that's my mm -hmm. personal opinion because I'm seeing that manifest in a bunch of different ways, whether they're big companies or whether they're small, like all the way down kind of into our, our world. Mm. So as a coach then, would you say moving forward, for me personally, that, and many other coaches who have dabbled in done for you, so to speak, mm -hmm. in doing it for their clients, um, would you say that one of two things, either A, you, you mentioned to get a guy and that guy has guys who do and you make sure the guy or girl is trained. Yeah. Would you say so long as I can be at distance from the doing, as long as I can innovate and teach the guy, like I did Naomi, in this case, the, the amazing yeah. partner. And I probably don't want it to be her because I don't want to have to have a I, t I tell you do no. relationship. Well, you, Is that a service well, you don't need You don't need a six-figure or seven, in, in Naomi's case, you don't probably don't need a seven-figure potential earner doing the ah, stuff that you need somebody else to do. Right. So the guy you're saying, what's the personality type of the guy? Because what I'm thinking of is if I have that guy even in-house, I own the manufacturing, but I do nothing. It's like I happen to be virgin. I happen to own the factory through a subsidiary of a subsidiary. Mm -hmm. It breaks even, happy days. But in this case, I have control over it and I haven't empowered a manufacturer to make me cheap Nike knockoffs mm -hmm. that compete directly against my Nike. You right. know what I mean? I yeah. happen to own oh, the shop. Um yeah, because I, I, I'm yeah. So I'm wondering, is that going to be a viable way? And if so, my guy, who's my personality type, my my X factors of my guy. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, the good news is the X factors of the people that do the work are are extremely compatible and usually opposite with our our X factors and personality types as the entrepreneurs. And that is to say, if you look at the disc profile, entrepreneurs are high driving, high interactive. Where we are dominant, ambitious people, people. Great. The people who actually do the implementation of the work really well and actually do it better than we do are the opposite in the sense that they crave stability. They have more of an engineering analytical mindset. They are risk averse, all good things. They're exactly the people that we want in that position anyway. And the good news is there's a lot more of them than there are of us. And so there's a huge pool of people out there who just want to execute and run the systems that somebody else builds. Happy day for us, right? Um, the difference is, uh, you know, you talked about like owning the facility. I think there, I think the, 
the benefits that we think come from that a lot of times don't materialize. And I've seen this in, even in the agency that I come out of. Like you think that you'd be able to kind of use the remnant labor to do some fun stuff for, let's say, the marketing side, right? So you have your operations team and they're good at marketing. Hey, let's just take a little bit of their extra time and do some marketing for us. Never works out. Always fails. Wow. (laughs) I I hate that because I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness. What, Matt, you mean that thing that I've been kind of half doing, you know, like it's like on your way to doing softly. You know that killing softly song? How it's a person sitting in the audience going, is that bastard singing about me? I'm like, Matt, yeah. you're Don McLean and I'm whoever it is sitting in the audience. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, man. Yeah, I've just, I've just, I've seen it. Like I've seen it with my own eyes. People, and, and all, it all stems from human nature. It's the same reason why categories develop in markets. Categories don't converge because people think of things in terms of mental buckets, right? And the same reason that it's hard to get an operations person to think about marketing the same reason why it's hard to get somebody who implements to think about sales. It's all the same thing. We put things into buckets and we have a hard time thinking as, of one thing as two things. And so wow. anytime you, right. So you try to, let's say you own the manufacturing, you own the agency that does the work. Um, you'd think, Oh, you know, like they've got, they've got to have 10% of their day free where they can work on some marketing stuff for me. It, it'll like, it works right up until it doesn't. Right. Cause you'll get some stuff done, but it's not their priority. Right. Cause their bucket is, I get stuff done for clients. I get stuff done for clients. I get stuff done for clients. All the rest of it, anything else you think you're going to squeeze out of them ends up getting, it's way down the list of their priority. Mm. Right. Cause they're fit themselves in the bucket of I serve clients. That's the bucket that they live in mentally. Mm. They have a very hard time breaking out of that. And then if you want to do anything that's consistent in marketing, which obviously is the stuff that works, right? It's the stuff that's consistent over time. They can't deliver on that because we're not a client. Mm. I need to immediately, immediately, the minute we're off this call, um, call Naomi. It's 3 a.m. for her. Um, so I won't call her. I'll let her yeah. sleep till she wakes up. And she wakes up. And I need to apologize literally to her because... She's been in charge of operations. Okay. And with that single-minded bucketness, she has been geniusly able to empathize with me doing my crazy shit, but at the same time be supervising, hand-holding, sometimes getting in and doing, but for the most part supervising and doing operations, admin, execution, and that whole done-for-you side of this business, Mm -hmm. while at the same time working with me and being able to do and execute the event management, the running, the marketing. And it's insane that she's been able to do it even to the level of competence that she's been able to. It has resulted in some frustrations from me, mm-hmm. not with her, but with that role, I suppose. And mate, she just needs the freaking. I have one of my clients offer her 300 grand a year but he jokingly kind of said it knowing that she's working for me. But it was like when, when a guy jokingly says to a girl that they know in the friend zone, well, uh-huh. why don't we just hook up? Because they jokingly say it just oh, as yeah. a way exactly to what make sure that it's done. And that's what my man was doing. He was jokingly saying it to, so that she goes, oh, 300 grand or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she deserves every bit of that. In fact, that would have been underpaying. And, and I, would, I would contend that the only, just about the only people on the planet that can do that are, and because Naomi's in the same 
class as we all are. Like she's a beast. She's an entrepreneur in her own right. She just happens to be in the operations of your business because you're the you're the public face of the coaching business. And, and, and the, yeah, she is. And she that's what I want to have. I want to have her equally in a role like mine because she right. can speak on stage. She is brilliant at it. She is charismatic and she has got all of those attributes. It's just that she also is a freaking animal on the other side. It's yeah. one of a kind. Yeah, you know? yeah. And that, that skill set is very expensive. Mm. beyond what most of us are willing to pay. So, so I think we make a big mistake when we build our systems in such a way that require that out of somebody when we don't have the means or the willingness to pay for a six or seven figure a year person who is the only person I believe that can really do that and manage that. And even that's not sustainable, but we can do it for a while. You know, mm. entrepreneurs are always focused on the sales and marketing of our own business and focused on the operations and serving the clients. That's also one of the reasons why being an entrepreneur is incredibly stressful. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, because it's hard. It's hard to, to it's hard to have your focus split. Um, the, I think the best entrepreneurs actually are the ones like Richard Branson that are so focused on sales and marketing, almost to the exclusion of other things, that they immediately bring in somebody else to manage the operations for that exact reason. Because it gives them the freedom to focus on what they do best which is push, wow. push, 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 push forward. Um, mm. And if there's anything that you would probably love, and that's probably why Naomi is still in the role that she's in, is because that's what frees you up to keep pushing. Now, she, that's not to say she can't, because she absolutely could get out there and push with you. But mm. having her on the operation side and knowing how much of a, a beast that she is, uh, is what gives you the mental freedom to get out there and be in Gimby, Australia at four o'clock in the morning, <laughs> pushing the business forward like a crazy person. But <laughs> yeah, it is taxing. It's taxing to try to do both. And I'm sure she's living it right mm. now because she's trying to help you push. Yeah. You know, wow. so anyway, but I, I will, I'll end it with this. There, there's a great client that we're helping to launch their podcast. I think they have one of the most unique business models I've ever seen, which is they found all the best vendors that do the individual parts of the lead generation and closing process. In this case, they're in the real estate investing community. And so they would call it a managed marketing service. It's a managed professional service in the sense that they do what they do best, the strategy and the R&D, and then they find the vendors that do each part better than they could if they were to hire their own staff. That's another way of building a UX machine is to find the vendors that do it, let them do their thing, let them make their profit, pay the premium for their services versus hiring an in-house so that you maintain the mobility to just focus on marketing and R&D. And that, mm -hmm. to me, that's worth it. Yes, you pay a premium, absolutely. But in the end, the ability to be fast, fluid, and mobile, and like you said, just to sit at the feet of the person that knows all about the next thing and just learn it, absorb it, and then adjust the business to compensate without having a whole bunch of employees that have a vested interest in things not changing, I think that's the future. Wow. Well, Matt, I hope... Um, that you are charging for this podcast and it's not a free one um, <laughs> because literally this consult should have been paid. So anyone getting mm -hmm. to listen over the shoulder of this, holy crap balls. If this is, they should, I don't know if, even know if there's such a thing as paid podcast, but if there was, this needs to be one. Um, thank you, man. That's awesome. And I can't wait to delve deep dive maybe at some stage in the future on what I do with that after I get Naomi to listen to this. I'm sure I'll have questions about which way we're going to go. Yeah. Like, are we going to, you know, because I'm, I'm, you know, in my mind it's going between, you mentioned mobility, that I pay a premium for a service in a managed, um, you know, whatever the, the thing is. You have the mobility to fire that vendor and put on another one or whatever at the expense of um, 
the protection of hiring it in-house and you mentioned that sometimes the benefits you think you're going to get, you don't materialise, etc. So um, I'm going to get Nomi to listen to this recording. Um, I'll, I'll maybe edit out the bit where I'm gushing over how legendary she is. No, I won't. I'll leave it. Right. Gonna say, <laughs> no, that's going to be right. major yeah. brownie points for you. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I mean, a lot of food for thought, man. And that's why when I saw your, and, and you mentioned it was at a luxurious hotel at the blah, blah, blah or whatever. I mean, guys, he's fibbing. It was a hole in the wall musicians venue in downtown San Diego next to the pot palace or whatever. Cause it's, it's legal in California. It's right. There. And, um, it was a Tuesday night. Matt was up on stage because he's a beast drummer and then they somehow handed me this crazy out-of-tune guitar but I grabbed Matt's phone and I looked on his Instagram and it said, systems, screw the people, this ain't a people business, systems rule, (laughs) all words to that effect. And I'm like, no, I've spent a decade (laughs) building it the opposite of that, Matt, and hence here we are today. That's hilarious. Man, it's been fun, bro. It has been fun. All right. And brain frying. Yeah, and brain frying. Dude, um, I don't need connecting with. People want to connect with you because you're the, fuck, man, you've got, oh, I'm swearing now, my apologies, but, um, man, you've got a, um, a fascinating way of looking at other businesses and being able to translate that to what that means to a little guy doing a, essentially a one-man show. Right. That, yeah, we've kind of got to build a virgin to our you know, our, our Richard Branson, you know, um, and Virgin don't make the planes. They don't, they don't, you know, they just stick the Virgin thing on it and then fly them, you know. That's right. Yeah. All right, man. Matt, I appreciate it. Guys, you know, Matt always asks very graciously, how can people find me? You'll find me, you know. Glenn Twiddle, right? It's in the headline. Google me. You'll find me. <laughs> but you don't want me. You want M. Right, wherever, the, wherever this recording is, you want. <laughs> your point. Well, to me, it looks like you're pointing in the right direction. So, that's <laughs> all right, guys. All right, man. Thanks a million, bud. I appreciate it, Glenn. Now, I believe that clarity releases energy, so I hope that this episode creates clarity for you by laying out a path forward in your business. Now, if you're interested in starting a podcast like this to help you break into a new industry or to establish yourself as an authority in a niche market, let's talk. We have a complete done-for-you podcasting service. Uh, That is my agency that I'm building and growing, and I'd love to talk to you about what we can potentially do for you. You can learn more at PursuingResults.com to get a sense of what our service is all about. And if you're ready, if you're really seriously thinking about starting a podcast, I'm happy to brainstorm your ideas and talk about the positioning of your podcast within the market, something that you can take away whether we end up working together or not. So you can grab a time on my calendar for a podcast brainstorm call at bookjohnson.com. That is bookjohnson.com. I just want to thank you again for listening to the show, for leaving us a rating and a review on iTunes, and more importantly, for investing your time, your energy, your attention into the show. It really means the world to me that you would do that. So again, this is the UX Podcast, where we learn how to turn a rockstar business into a UX machine, and we'll see you on the next episode.